I want to invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Job. The book of Job. Uh, you, you may not... I always have a hard time finding Job. Uh, it's on page uh, 653 on my Bible. I don't know where it's at in your Bible. Uh, but I always have trouble finding Job. It's after Esther. And uh, so the book of Job, and we're going to be in chapter number one, Job chapter number one. Uh, growing up in Georgia, you know how it is here in West Virginia, um, country roads is always the song that people refer to when you think about West Virginia, right? Country roads take me home. And uh, man, so I like that song before I ever lived in West Virginia. But in Georgia, you know, we got Georgia on my mind. And then another song that we sing in Georgia is the devil went down to Georgia. And so uh, tonight I'm preaching on the devil went down to us. And so I wanted to ask you, if you will, stand up with me. Job chapter number one. Job chapter number one. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that, his, so that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day. So this would be every one of them's birthday. They would gather together for a party. And uh, every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now you may remember I preached that verse my first Sunday here as your pastor on Father's Day. And Brother Eddie has that there in his hand. I'm not preaching the same message, but uh, that just wanted to remind you of that. Now there was a day... When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So let me just say this here. Uh, the angels are considered the sons of God. They would appear before God. They were, they were sons of God before you and I were sons of God. And Satan was one of them. And apparently he is still has a permission slip to attend heaven's Board meetings. And so Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, and perfect, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? 
Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and the substance uh, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for the word of God. We ask now that you would bless it as we preach it and as we listen and hear. We pray you open our ears, open our heart, open our minds so that we may understand. We pray you would help us this evening. God, I pray you would cleanse me of my shortcomings, my sin, my failures. God, wash me in the blood of Jesus. God, empty me of myself, God, and fill me with your Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. It was so good to see Nikki's friend in church this morning. I'll be honest with you, I prayed. I said, Lord, make it such a good service that he'll want to move here, amen? And so uh, it was good to see him here today. Uh, We have here a very interesting scene in the Bible. Not very often are we given the background story of what takes place on earth. But I do just want to say this. Everything I believe that takes place on earth, it somehow took place in the unseen world first. In other words, I don't believe things just happen in our lives on planet earth. I believe there is a purpose and there is a plan even in the things that we don't like, the things that we don't understand, the things that don't make sense to us, there is a God that sits on the throne and He does rule, He does reign, He has all authority in heaven on the earth and anywhere else in creation. And He has the power and the ability to stop anything he wants to stop. I believe that. And I believe he also gives men free will. So we bring about a lot of things, but God factors that in. But here we have the privilege of seeing behind the scenes a meeting that took place in heaven that can give you and I some understanding of the attack on Job's life. But now we've got to remember this. Job didn't know the backstory. Job didn't know about this meeting that took place. He was living in real time, just like you and I. We don't know the backstory of our problems. We don't know the backstory and what's happening behind the scenes. But there's a song that says, somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. And I'm just here to say this, that there's nothing that God's not involved in. Either he allows it to happen in our life or he orchestrates it to happen in our life. But neither, either way, if he orchestrates it or allows it, we still as believers have the promise in Romans 8 verse 28 for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and the called according to his purpose so whether he allows it or he orchestrates it either way we know God is using it in our lives just this morning in my reading time I was reading in the book of Psalms 
And I forgot what psalm it was, but it is the backstory of Joseph's trial. Have you read that in the Psalms? And it says that God allowed all these things to happen to Joseph before he was put second in command in Pharaoh to test and to prove Joseph. So brother and sister, God's at work in everything, even when the devil attacks our lives. I want to give you three goals of Satan, three things that he seeks to accomplish when he brings these attacks against our lives. But be comfortable, be rest assured that everything that touches you had to come by God's permission. It had to come through God's hand. And if God allowed you to walk into it, God's going to be with you through it. Amen? And so you can find comfort in that. But just three things very briefly. Uh, because I believe that knowing Satan's goal can help us withstand the battle. Don't you believe that? Uh, Brother Jacob and I, we're coaching a little bitty basketball team, and it's very interesting. You know, the goal of the other team when they get the ball is very simple, is to go down to the basket, right? But our team doesn't seem to know that. They think they've got to run on their hip pocket all the way down to the rim. And we're trying to say, you know the end result. You know where they're headed. Take the best angle to get there and stop them. Uh, listen, when we can know Satan's goal, it can help us fight the battle better. It can help us believe God in the midst of it. So let me give you number one. Satan's first goal in his attack against Job was to discourage him. You know, Satan, if he can discourage you and I, he's got one leg up. If he can discourage you and I, he's already got a foothold in our lives. If he can bring discouragement in our life, it really makes us useless to anybody. You ever tried to be around somebody that was discouraged? Let me give you a Winnie the Pooh example, Eeyore. He is so discouraged. Well, I just don't know. The weather's bad. It's, it's hard. Everything's going wrong. Listen, you ever you know some Eeyores? Everybody knows some Eeyores in here. I mean, they're just discouraged. They make you want to jump off a building. I, I mean, they just suck the life out of you because they're discouraged. Listen, if Satan, I don't mean jump off a building. Don't write me up. Don't send me nowhere. Uh, but listen, when in our lives, we have to battle against being discouraged because Satan wants to discourage us. And listen, I wish I could tell you that Satan only wanted to discourage old people. And I wish I could tell you Satan only wanted to discourage middle-aged people. But Satan wants to discourage young people too. He'll discourage anybody that he can. He wants to discourage us. So keep that in mind. Whenever you feel discouraged, I promise you, based upon the authority of God's Word, God never discourages us. So if you feel discouraged, then your spiritual antenna should tune in that Satan is attacking your life. Well, two of you, amen. I want you to see there's three ways that Satan tries to discourage Job. Number one, he tries to discourage Job through his losses. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 1, verses, two, uh, verses 12 through 18. 
Job chapter number one. I'll be reading a lot of scripture. I want you to, to follow with me. So Satan wants to discourage you by the losses in your life. Think about this. Look in verse 12. Uh, excuse me, in verse number, let's skip verse for now. Let's skip down to verse 13. And there was a day when the sons and when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elder eldest brother's house. Now get the picture. They're, they're celebrating a birthday, and there came a messenger unto Job. Listen to what he said. The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy servants with the edge of the sword. And I only have escaped alone to tell thee. Boy, can you see the urgency there? He comes and says, my goodness, you won't believe what happened, Job. Now listen to what the Bible says in verse number 16. While he was yet speaking... Before he could finish, there came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, Job, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, before he could even finish speaking, the Bible says, There came also another and said the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, before he could finish getting out the message, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead, Job, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Can you get what's happening here? Wave after wave after wave after wave. He doesn't even have time to get up and process what news he had just received. He doesn't have time to slow down and catch his breath and process what's happening in his life. Life. That's how the devil attacks us. He doesn't attack us, then back off and let us regroup. But no, he brings bad news after bad news after bad news. That's why we say things like this. Boy, when it rains, it pours. I remember as a young boy, my dad took us on two vacations. Two vacations. The first one he ever took us to, we went to Myrtle Beach. I was probably about 12 years old. And dad, we've been bugging dad to go to the beach. So dad took us to the beach. And I give you some insight to my dad. My dad, he was a hardworking man. He worked from sun up. Uh, he worked till the sun went down. And if you was at home uh, eating food or enjoying the air condition while he was out working, he'd whip you just for enjoying the air conditioning and, and food while he was out working. This is the kind of man that would say this. Now, you know this $20 I'm giving you took me three hours to make. That's how he talked to us. So he said, I'm going to take you all to the beach. We've been bugging him with this, so we go to the beach. And he said this before we left. Now, don't think y'all going to come sit in the hotel room when it gets hot. And he meant it. <laughs> He had us on the beach when the sun came up and we didn't come in till the sun went down. We were raw and burnt. After two days, we said, take us home. He said, gladly. 
I remember when we pulled up to the beach, I had never seen the beach. I was so excited. Listen, I've been swimming in creeks and lakes my whole life. I was about 12 or 13 years old. I go running full speed. I hit the water. It was unbelievably salty and it burned my eyes. And I'm telling you, I was trying to clear my eyes out. I had sand all in my britches, clearing my eyes out. I forgot there was waves. And all of a sudden, something slapped me in the back and y'all, my face went in the sand and I was rolling under the water and I finally got my bearings and got my feet under me and I stood up and you won't believe what happened another wave knocked me down and my face hit the sand and I rolled under the water I stood up again I could see my dad and a wave hit me again I thought I was going to die my first day at the beach all 12 years of my life flashed before my eyes boy that's how Satan attacks Wave after wave after wave. That's why we brace ourselves when something bad happens. Don't we say, my goodness, what's going to happen next? The wash machine broke. The kids are acting crazy. The bank account's negative. The car broke down. And then we get nervous when the phone rings. We get PTSD. We're thinking, my goodness, what bad news is coming out? Anybody else? But Satan likes to discourage us with loss after loss after loss after loss. Listen, sometimes in your life when you notice you're losing things, it seems like money's going out here. It seems like friends are abandoning you there. It seems like, and it just seems like you're losing. Look, Satan wants to discourage you through your losses. He was trying to discourage Job. See, discouragement is the preparatory work for what Satan really wants to do. So if he can start causing you to lose things and realizing uh, that discouragement's coming in your life. Uh, he lost his household. He lost all of his children, seven children, seven sons and three daughters. And then he also, we're going to see here in a little bit, he ended up losing his health in chapter 2, verse 7. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost really everything that he had except for his wife. Boy, Satan, he'll... He'll discourage us through our losses. But don't you see, secondly, another way that Satan will discourage us, y'all bear with me, I just wanted to alliterate, Satan will discourage us through his lady. Watch what the Bible says here in chapter 2, verse 9. Now, Job has lost everything. He's lost his children, he's lost his health, he's lost his wealth. And I want you to notice what his, I don't think his wife had a bad heart. I think his wife loved him. I think his wife, his wife wasn't evil. I believe she saw her husband suffering. She knew he was a godly man. She knew he didn't deserve this happening to him. She saw his broken heart. She saw the boils on his skin. She saw him lose everything he worked for. And I believe this was a compassionate statement. The Bible says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. See, a lot of people give Job's wife a hard time, but have you ever watched somebody that you love suffer? Don't you just want to say, just give up, just die. You'd be better off going to heaven. I, I don't believe she was trying to be evil. I believe she didn't know what else to do. But how many of you know that sometimes the people the closest to you can be used to discourage you? They don't mean to. That's not the goal. That's not the heart. That's not the motive. But sometimes the people closest to you will say things that make you believe they're not on your side. 
Oh my goodness, isn't that hard when somebody that's supposed to be on your side doesn't stand with you in your stand or stand with you in your determination? Isn't it discouraging when you make a stand for Jesus and maybe a husband says, well, that was a little bit bold. Or maybe you take a stand with one of your children and your wife says, well, that was just a little bit too hard. You just feel like, my goodness, I'm being discouraged from every side. Sometimes Satan likes to use what people say closest to us to discourage us. Be careful when the people you love are being used to discourage you. It may not be their motive. Remember, Paul said our battle is not with flesh and blood, right? We're not battling his wife. We're not battling our husband. We're not battling our mother or our father or our friends. We're our battle against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our, our battles against an unseen devil, and he'll use good-meaning folks to discourage us. We see here that he was discouraged through the things he lost. He got discouraged through his wife. We'll see here. Secondly, he got discouraged by his friends. Notice what the Bible says in chapter number 2 and verse number 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. So uh, you're going to see if we had time to read the whole book of Job, his friends were like, Job, you know there's sin in your life. Job, God wouldn't do this if you were living right. Job, God only allows this to happen because there's something that you're disobeying Him in. His friends were trying their best to help Him, but they were really discouraging Him. You ever had people discourage you that are just trying to help you? They don't mean to, but they can discourage you. You, I just want you to remember his friends loved him. His friends were not against him. But his friends could not understand what was happening. They didn't take much time to pray about it. They just started giving advice. They started giving counsel. They started telling him what they thought. You know, I believe 99 out of 100 people that try to speak into your life hadn't prayed about it. So sometimes people would discourage you when they're trying to minister to you. Uh, can, let me give you just a for instance. You know, I think if I was a pastor in the Old Testament, I think I would have discouraged a lot of God's people on accident. Let me give you an example. If I was Abraham's pastor... And he were to call me for lunch and say, Hey, Pastor John, God's called me to go kill my son. I'd say, Oh, no, that's the devil. I don't think you should do that. I'd be discouraging him, trying to minister to him. If Hosea came to me and said, Oh, Pastor... You know, I've been saving myself for marriage. You know, Pastor, I've been serving in the church. I've been working in the ministry. And I've not dated. I've not kissed. I've not, I'm still a virgin. And God showed me who to marry. And I say, well, my goodness, is it a young girl in the church? Nah. Well, where'd you meet her at? Well, I met her down at the whorehouse. Uh, Hosea, God ain't called you to marry a prostitute. Surely, Surely God hadn't called you to marry an unfaithful woman. I'm so glad that I wasn't their pastor. 
I would have discouraged them from what God was doing in their lives. See, sometimes when we don't know the whole picture, we can discourage people trying to help people. And Satan will use that to discourage them. That's why we got to be sure we know all the facts before we give an answer. You know, I learned the hard way. Don't give marriage advice without the husband and wife there. I learned that the hard way. I got a voicemail on my phone one day years ago. The first couple that I ever led to the Lord, I led the husband to the Lord. The wife didn't get saved yet. And so he would tell me, he'd say, Brother John, I know I'm saved, but I can't stop smoking pot because my girlfriend likes to drink. So I would go by the hat. They've been living together like 15 years, common law married in Georgia. So I'd go by while he was at work with a deacon from the church, and I'd say, listen, you need to get saved. She said, I would get saved but I can't stop drinking and I say why can't you stop drinking because he keeps smoking pot (laughs) so I went to him and I said oh so I told her with the deacon I said I tell you what what you should probably do is just move out for a little while and I went to see him and I said you're saved she's not saved you can't get married yet you need to move out for a little while I didn't think nothing about it. I got a phone call and it said, listen here you home wrecking preacher. You're trying to split my family up and get my wife to move out. And he said, I believe you after my wife. I said, oh my goodness. I learned right then and there I'm never going to give advice to a husband and I'm never going to give advice to his girlfriend unless both of them are sitting in the room. You just can't answer somebody until you know the whole story. And sometimes our friends will discourage us trying to help us. See, Satan knows what he's doing. He can use your wife. He can use your husband. He can use your own mother. He can use your own father. He can use your own pastor. He can use your own people. And he can use us to discourage us. Not only was he discouraged, but I want you to see, secondly, Satan's motive and goal is to discredit us. He wants to discredit us. He, he, he wants to bring attention to our failures and call us fair-weather believers. See, Satan wants to discredit us. He wants to discredit our, first of all, our motives He wants to discredit our motives. Look what the Bible says in Job 1, verse number 9 and verse number 10 and verse number 11. Now here was Satan's accusation against Job. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? He says, look, the only reason Job fears you and turns from evil and lives right is because of all the things you give him. He says this, hast thou, hast not thou made a hedge about him? No wonder he loves you. You build a hedge around him and I can't get through it. That's why he loves you. He doesn't love you because you're good. He doesn't love you because you're God. He doesn't love you just because he only loves you because you protect him. He's wanting to discredit Job's motives. Look what he says here. 
and you've made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and the substance is increased in the land. He says, look, I want you to know this, God. The only reason Job is faithful, the only reason Job sings, the only reason Job prays, the only reason Job worships, the only reason Job serves is because all the blessings you give him. He said, but put forth your hand Touch all that he has, and I guarantee you, you'll see the real Job. He'll curse you. Yeah, Job blesses you because you bless him. But stop blessing him and see what he does. You know, it's sad to say, but a lot of us, we don't got no problem blessing God as long as things good in our life. But you let one thing go bad, you let one thing turn the wrong way, and we start getting negative, we start complaining, we start backbiting, we start gossiping, we start turning on each other, we start separating from each other, we start doing all kinds of wickedness when a little bit of a rattle comes to our life. Well, I, I believe many of us, we, we prove a lot of times just to be wrong in our motives. You know, brother and sister, if we only love God and serve God and worship God because we're healthy or because we're wealthy or because our kids are doing well, brother and sister, we're not true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we love God because He deserves our love. Hey, we serve God because He's God and He's worthy of it. And if God never answers another prayer, if God never gives me another meal, if God never pays another bill, if if God takes everything that I have, am I still going to worship Him? Why? What's the motive? So he wants to discredit Job. He's like, okay, God, you take all that he has and the real Job is underneath all that blessing somewhere. I wonder if Satan brings you to God's attention and says, you know, Brother Jacob only loves you because of this. Or Brother Jeff only is faithful because of this. Or Brother Mike's only faithful because of this. Look, God, if you take this out, you bring a little trouble in their marriage, you bring a little trouble in their finances, you let sickness come to their home, I guarantee you they'll quit going to church, they'll stop tithing, they'll stop singing them songs, they'll stop reading their Bibles, they'll stop telling others about how good you are. And brother and sister, may we not be exposed as fair weather servants of Jesus. He says, hey, he wants to discredit your motives. And not just that, but he wants to discredit our ministries, our testimony as well. Back to Job 2 verse 11. I want you to notice this terminology now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place. Now, I think this is interesting. They heard all of these evil things that were happening in his life. You know, isn't it sad though that when we hear about bad things happening to people, many times their first thought is about what we know they're doing wrong Oh, yes. When we start hearing bad news has come, yep, they shouldn't have missed church last week. Yep, that's what happens when you don't do this. And we all of a sudden start trying to, but when somebody's got a blessed life and everything's met, we say, wow, they must be serving God. 
so his friends heard all this evil that had come upon him. I want you to notice some of the language here. I think this is very, very interesting. Look in verse 16 of chapter 1. Notice this language here. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God. Sounds like judgment, doesn't it? The fire of God fell. And, and I, want you to, I want you to notice what he says in verse number 19. And behold, there came a great wind. Boy, God controls the wind, doesn't he? See, what happens is Satan likes to cause all of these things. He, he likes to orchestrate them. And then he likes to disguise them so it looks like God is against us. Oh, the fire of God fell. Oh, the wind of God is what did it. And all of a sudden, Job, what he's having to battle with, was it really God that did this to my children? Was it God that took... And there's a battle taking place in Job's life. And so what's happening here is what the community is starting to look at Job going, wow, Job must have really did something wrong. Job really must have sinned against the Lord. Uh, I remember there was a pastor friend of mine... He had a older son that was got just crazy and was put in prison for he was an adult when it happened awful crime and then not long after that their other son was killed as eight year old boy on a four wheeler and then not long after that I think their home flooded his pastor well. What happens in a community is, wow, if they were serving God, he wouldn't allow that to happen. Oh, wow, if he, there must be some hidden sin in his life. There must be some ungodly. See, Satan's goal is to discredit our ministry to the community to discredit our testimony to those around us. But brother and sister, when you know, Job knew he was innocent. Job knew there was no sin in his life. Job knew. You know how I knew that? Because if there was, Job was an upright man, he would have confessed his sin. He would have made known his sin. But Job knew he was upright. And Job said, hey, you can say what you want to say and you can claim what you want to claim, but it's God that giveth and it's God that taketh away. And even though God wound me, God slay me I'll still trust Him and I'll still praise Him. He held to His integrity. See, Satan, he wants to discourage us personally, but then he wants to bring doubt upon our testimony and our life by the things happening to us. That's what Satan likes to do. You remember the man that was blind and the disciples said, Jesus who sinned so that this man was born blind? Was it his parents or was it him? And Jesus said it wasn't his sin or his parents' sin, but this happened for the glory of God. See, the Old Testament teaching was this. If bad things are happening in your life, it's because God's mad at you. Can I give you some encouragement? Just because bad things are happening in your life, it doesn't mean God's against you. And let me just say this. Just because good things are happening in your life don't mean God's for you. 
<laughs> you know your walk with God. You know your standing with God. So Satan wants to discredit us. Thirdly, I want you to see, see Satan wants to take us deeper and deeper. He wants to discourage you. He wants to discredit you with those around you. Then thirdly, he wants to disconnect Job. He wants to disconnect him. He, Satan likes to come in between, doesn't he? He likes to divide. He likes to conquer. And what he does is he brings division. Um, first of all, he wants to disconnect Job from his faith. See, Job's faith was basically this. God is a good God. Now that must be the starting point of everyone's theology. That, that, the character of God is where our theology begins. Either God is a good God or God's an evil God. You can't have both and you can't have in between, right? So either God is good or God is evil, right? And so if God is good, that means that the bad things that happen to us do not change the goodness of God towards us, right? And listen, our faith is, you know, Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. You know, I believe some of that fight is believing the goodness of God in the midst of a fallen world. I believe that is a fight to believe that. Is not, is it not a challenge to believe the goodness of God when you see all the evil around us? When you see all the evil things that happen to us? Sometimes we think, man, is God really good? Uh, let me give you my first ever experience wanting to know God. I was a 12-year-old boy in Watkinsville, Georgia. My uncle had a basketball court. I love basketball. And every day I would go and I would shoot three-pointers. I'd shoot foul shots. I'd do layups. And then when it got dark, I'd walk back across the field and I'd go back home to mom and dad's house. Well, something must have happened and I had a seed planted in me and at 12 years old, I wanted to know, is there a God? I remember this at 12 years old. And so uh, I didn't know where to find God. I didn't know to ask about God. The only thing I ever knew about God was He built dams. That's what my daddy always said. And so I never saw a Bible, never heard anybody pray, never saw none of that in my life. But somewhere, somehow, something happened when I was 12. And I went outside of the basketball court, the only thing I really felt comfortable at. And here's what I said. I said, God, if you're real, I'm going to shoot this three-pointer. If it goes in, you're real. If it doesn't go in, you're not real. And so I dribbled that ball. I shot it. And to my utter amazement, I missed and I remember my heart sunk and I ran to get my ball and I had this thought, wow, God's not real. As I made my way back to shoot some more ball, a second thought came in. Well, maybe God's real, but He just doesn't have power to make a ball go in for a 12-year-old boy. So I said, okay, God, double or nothing. I dribble the ball again from the same spot. I shoot, and to my utter amazement, I missed again. My heart sank. I ran to get my ball as I made my way back to the line. I had a second thought as a 12-year-old boy. Well, maybe God is real, and maybe God does have power, but maybe He doesn't love me enough to do it for me. 
So I said, okay, God, a third time. It's a charm. You are real. You do have power, but surely you love me enough to make it go in. I dribbled the ball, I shot, and to my utter amazement, I missed for a third time. I remember I grabbed the basketball as a 12-year-old boy, walked back to mom and daddy's house, and here was my fault. There is a God, He does have power, but for some reason, He doesn't love me. And for the next 10 years of my life, I lived like the devil, and I never gave God or heaven another thought. Because I didn't believe he was a good God, that he cared for. And look, even today at 40 years old, I still have to battle, does God really love somebody like me? I remember after I got saved, the Spirit of God reminded me of that story as a 12-year-old boy. And here's what God said. John, here's what God spoke to me. I demonstrated my love for you by sending Jesus to die not by putting a basketball in a hoop. Amen. Thank God for that. And so listen, brother and sister, our faith is that God is a good God, but Satan wants us to doubt the goodness of God. And when we get discouraged, Satan will say, if you were saved, if God loved you, if God was good, why is he allowing this to happen in your life? And brother and sister, we better be careful not to take his bait. We better be careful not to believe the lies of the devil because it will disconnect us from our, number two, fellowship with God. Can I just say this? Satan, he knows he cannot steal my soul. He'll never take my father-son relationship, but he can wreak havoc on my fellowship. He can't touch the relationship but he can affect our fellowship. See, Satan wants to break our fellowship with God. Did you know you can be saved and be out of fellowship with God? Sin will get you out of fellowship with God. You can't fellowship with God with sin in your life. Read 1 John chapter number 1. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin but if we say we have no sin we walk in the darkness and we don't have fellowship with God with sin in our life doing so we see here that he wants to break down Job's fellowship with God See, he said, he'll curse you, God. He'll turn his back on you, God. He won't stay with the stuff, God. But in all this, Job never sinned, did he? Job never brought a false accusation against God. He never lifted up his soul in vanity. He never swore against God. He never rebelled against God. As a matter of fact, he drew closer to God. He cried out to God. He leaned upon God. Because as believers, when trials and tribulations and storms and trials come in our life, they're meant to draw us closer to Him, never to drive us away from Him. Amen? Don't ever mistake that. Don't ever mistake that. So Satan, what he wants you to do is run from God, run from the church, run from, listen, and God's saying, no, run to me, run to the church. We see here that Satan wants to disconnect us. He wants to do this in our faith about the goodness of God. He wants to do this in our fellowship with God. And I want to say this. He also wants to disconnect us from our future. Uh, we see here in Job chapter number 42, if you'll go with me to Job chapter 42, um, Job went through 
a tough, 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 unbelievable time. And I, I can say this, and I don't mean this in a, a bad way about us, but I don't think any of us have ever walked through what Job had to walk through. Not to the extent of that. We all have suffered in some degree, in some way, but Job was a very tested man. Uh, I want you to see this. What's up, Titus? Go back there and sit in the back. Put that ball up. What you doing? Get, get out of here with that basketball. What, what you thinking? Huh? My goodness. That boy thinks he had a birthday party today, didn't he? Go back there and sit with uh, Elijah for me. All right, there we go. All right, look, I want you to see this. Uh, finally, Satan wants to disconnect us from our futures, guys. Look, no matter what Job went through, God still had a future plan for him. John had a few, God had a future plan for Job. Listen, what would have happened if Job would have quit? What would have happened if Job would have turned away? What would have happened if Job would have stopped walking with God and stopped serving God? I'll tell you this. He would not have stepped into his future. Let me give you just two verses here. Job 42 and verse number 10. The Bible says this, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. So here's the good news. There is a day coming that God turns it around. The Bible says, when he prayed for his friends. Now there's a whole message in and of that. Amen. Um, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So God blessed him with twice as many possessions. Now I can swallow that. Amen. I mean I can rejoice. If you lose everything you have and God gives you uh, double the size of your home, double the size of your income, double the size of your acreage, double the garage that you have, double the four-wheelers that you have, double the bass boat that you have, double, double all those possessions. I can handle that and I can shout hallelujah and glory be to God. But I tell you, can't nothing ever replace dead children. It don't matter how many kids God gives Job, it's still not going to replace the children that he lost. Amen to that? So there ain't nothing to shout about, about that. Uh, so, but look what he says here in verse number 11. Uh, and, excuse me, in verse number 12. Uh, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. And then it says, he had also seven sons and three daughters. God did replace, but listen, you can never replace children. And don't let anybody tell you that God resurrected his seven sons and three daughters and gave them back. All right, now listen. Um... No matter what you go through. See, this, the message like this, I don't think really applies to us right where we sit all the way. But we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in five years and ten years. Some of you have went through things at your 20th year of marriage or your 25th year of marriage or your 30th year of marriage that you never thought you'd have went through the year, first year you got married. You know what I'm saying? Like There's some things coming down the road in our lives and we need to be sure that Satan does not discourage us to the point that he can discredit us and then we're so full of shame and guilt that He disconnects us from the future and from our fellowship with God.